take a moment to look around and wave to one another and greet one another as we can from a distance. All right, as you're done, you can be seated. And I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. This morning, as we continue our study of the Psalms, we're going to return to the topic of Christian meditation. The idea of meditation shows up throughout the Psalms, and so we return to this topic. If you remember back in October when we did our study of the Christian disciplines, spiritual disciplines, we talked about meditation from Psalm 1. And then back in March, we were in Psalm 77, and again we looked at this topic of meditation, how meditation can take us from a place of lament to a place of worshiping the Lord. Today we begin a two-part study of meditation in Psalm 119, looking at how meditation on God's Word will change what we think, what we feel, and what we do. This morning we're going to cover those first two topics, and then next Sunday, how meditation on God's Word will change what we do, and also look at some practical ways of implementing it in our own lives. Now a few things to remember from our previous study of Christian meditation. First, it is Christian because it is focused on the Word of God. Unlike other forms of meditation, Christian meditation makes the Word of God its focus of attention. We don't clear our minds, we focus our minds. We focus on the promises that God has made to us in His Word. Second, it is Christian because the goal of Christian meditation is to know Christ. We believe that in meditation we're coming to know the One who has already fully known us, who has fully embraced us. You see, whatever knowledge or blessing we receive in this practice of meditation, ultimately it is the blessing of coming to know Jesus Christ more. And third, it is Christian meditation because it is spiritual. Maybe more specifically, it is Holy Spiritual. That is, it is empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. You see, if we practice meditation on God's Word apart from the power of the Spirit, all it is is human thinking. But by the power of the Spirit, our hearts, our minds, and our actions are changed. And we come to know the One revealed to us, the Lord Christ Jesus. And so we can say that Christian meditation is fixing our attention upon the revelation of God to know Christ by the power of the Spirit. Now a little bit about Psalm 119 before we get into it this morning. First, it is the longest psalm, it is the longest chapter in all of the Bible. It has 176 verses and it is structured as an acrostic. Now that means that each section begins with a particular letter of the Hebrew alphabet. If you look there in your Bibles, you'll see there's a heading uh, maybe every eight verses or so. So the first one is Aleph, then Bet, then Gimel, then Dalit, all the way down through the Hebrew alphabet. And that means that in the section, take Dalit for example, 
Each line begins with that Hebrew letter, the letter that corresponds to our English D. So every line begins with, we will say, D. Now, why would someone write a psalm in this way? Well, I'm sure that you could guess the purpose. The purpose is to aid in memory and repetition of the psalm. It's written this way so that somebody could memorize this psalm and meditate upon this psalm. Now, the next thing we need to know about Psalm 119 is its subject. What is it about? What are we supposed to be meditating on? Well, its subject is the Word of God itself. Some very familiar verses here I know that you have heard before. Psalm 119, verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at how this psalm teaches us how we must meditate on the word of God. Now, of course, we could not go through the whole 176 verses in one sermon. Really, we couldn't even do justice to all the times the specific word meditation occurs in Psalm 119. So what we're going to do is we're going to, again, look at how meditation will change the way that we think and feel in this world. So here now, the word of the Lord, Psalm 119 I will be reading verses 1 through 32 just to give us a taste of Psalm 119. This is God's holy word. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in His ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I'll praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. and the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts. And fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for all your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. 
My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. Set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we come to you now in this time. And we pray that you would open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. We pray that you would fix in our hearts and in our minds the centrality and the power of your word. And that you would give to us your spirit. That as we read your word, it might be illuminated to us. That we might truly think and feel and do as you have called us. And we pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen. In Psalm 119, as we read through the psalm, we come across several verses that teach us that as we meditate upon God's Word, that it will give to us understanding. That is, that we will begin to think rightly. And so we read in verse 130 of Psalm 119, this verse, The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Verses 97 through 100 say, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged. The author of the psalm contends that through meditation on the Word of God, he has become wiser than his enemies, than his teachers, and even than his elders. It is a bold statement. If we make a cursory reading of this verse, we might think that he is being boastful, right? He is a precocious know-it-all. I know more than those who are against me. I know more than my teachers. I even know more than my elders. Yet the psalmist is not meaning to bring glory to himself. Rather, the statement is meant to point us, the reader, to the power of meditation and the attainment of understanding and wisdom and right thinking. The path to knowledge, the path to right thinking, isn't through vast reading. It isn't through a natural intellect. The path to right thinking isn't through watching hours of opinion news. It isn't the article that your friend linked on Facebook that's going to tell you how you are supposed to think and respond to everything that's going on around you. Rather, the path to true knowledge is through a diligent and focused meditation on the Word of God. 
This is how we might gain true insight. This is how we will be transformed through the renewing of our minds. Why is the psalmist more intelligent than all those whom he has named in this verse? Not because he is naturally more wise, but rather because he has chosen to turn his attention to God's Word. In verse 27 of our psalm, the psalmist explains his attitude towards the Word of God. He says, Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. You see, the psalmist realizes that he needs wisdom. He comes to God's Word seeking to understand. Meditation on the Word of God leads us to greater wisdom because it is marked by an attitude of humility and teachableness. Too often we will lean on our own understanding or the world's. We are hardened in our opinions and we come to God's Word with a sense of intellectual pride and we desire not to learn from God's Word, but rather to evaluate and judge God's Word in light of what we believe we already know. That is, we don't begin with the wisdom of God and evaluate the wisdom of the world. We begin with the wisdom of the world and we come and we evaluate the Word of God. But to learn anything, we have to have the humility to admit that we do not know and that we must learn. Couldn't it be that the Word of God has something to teach us that we didn't already know? Could it be that we have a false understanding of what is right and what is wrong? Could it be that we might be able to learn of the way the world was created by the Creator of the world? Might the one who made you have something to say about your purpose and your destiny? Might the one who is the author of our faith have something to teach us about what we should believe? Might not our Savior have something to teach us about how He saves? But our cursory reading and lack of meditation on the Word of God betrays a pride of knowledge that believes there is nothing much that we can learn from God's Word. We go there just to have it affirmed what we already believe. Anyone who is an expert in a particular field has experienced this type of intellectual pride and unteachable spirit that people so often display. And so if you're a doctor or a nurse or a healthcare professional, I'm sure you have to deal with people that think they have medical knowledge that is on par with yours because they read an article on WebMD. Or if you are a teacher or a professor, I'm sure that you have students that believe they know more about you because they've read one book or one article and they're going to explain to you why you are wrong. As a pastor, I'm surprised how rare it is to interact with someone who begins with a teachable spirit and wants to learn. Most of the time when I interact with people, they want to first tell me what they believe the Bible says and what they think is right theologically. Very rarely do people come with a humble attitude. They come rather to teach and not to be taught. Now, I'm not saying that doctors can't learn from patients and teachers from students and pastors from their parishioners. Of course, there's always more that we can be learn. But a general attitude of humility and teachableness is so rare today. And yet it is the path to true knowledge. 
And if we would think rightly, we have to come to the Word of God with a humble and teachable spirit. We do not come to the Word of God to evaluate it in light of what we already know. For we know nothing of God except what God has chosen to reveal to us. And when it comes to knowing God, it is a one-way street. We bring nothing to the table to teach God. We come only to receive from God. We come asking for Him to make us understand. We don't come to God saying, Hey God, I have something to teach you. And this is why meditation, a focused attention on God's Word is so important in thinking rightly. It acknowledges the reality of Colossians 2.3. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But how often we lean on our own understanding. How often we are wise in our own eyes. How often we do not acknowledge the Lord in all of our ways. And yet, if we would think rightly, we must come to the Word of God with an attitude that says, Give me understanding, Lord. And then learn from Him as we focus our minds upon His Word. We are in a time that needs wisdom. We need right and clear thinking to navigate the struggles that we are facing. And I have to admit, I am not pointing the finger here. I have to admit, in these times it has been my natural reaction to get on the internet and look for answers of how I should respond to the things that are happening in our culture, in our world, instead of going to the Word of God and meditating on His truth. And each and every one of us, I know you can say that in your heart, that when something happens, it is our natural response. We want to go out into the world and find the right answer to how we should respond to the things that are going on. But if we would respond as we should, if we would have more understanding than our enemies and our teachers, and then those who are older than us, if we would have understanding, we must go to God's Word, not looking for it to reinforce what we already think, but to have it change what we think. For to think rightly about disease or race or authority, to think rightly about protest or rioting, to think rightly concerning the words we speak, the posts we write, or the opinions that we share, we need to spend much more time meditating on God's Word and much less time meditating on what the world is saying to us. Even as verse 37 of Psalm 119 says, Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. The first thing that we learn in Psalm 119 is that we must meditate, we must think deeply upon God's Word that we might think rightly. The second thing that I want us to see in Psalm 119 is that we must meditate on the Word of God because it will change the way that we feel the way that we feel about things. Meditation changes our minds, but it also changes our hearts. Verse 48, we read, I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. 
Verse 15 and 16, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. You see the connection between loving God's word and meditating on God's word. Now, as we grow in our knowledge of God through the practice of meditation on his word, what we feel will be changed. When we learn that God so loved the world, that He gave His only Son, it will change the way that we feel about God. It will make us love Him. It will make us desire Him. When we learn that the wages of sin is death, it should make us hate sin. As we learn more and more truth, our emotions should come into greater alignment with the truth that we are reading. So as we meditate on the Word of God and gain wisdom, that wisdom should cause our emotions to be what they are called to be in God's Word. You see, even as we don't think as we ought, we also don't feel as we ought. Our emotions need to be conformed to what God's Word tells us to feel. Now, I know this statement sounds a little strange. We tend to understand that there are right and wrong ideas, right and wrong thoughts. We believe that it's wrong to think that 2 plus 2 equals 5. That's wrong. We know that's wrong. And that needs to be corrected. However, we don't often express that there are false feelings. We've been taught that we must validate others' emotions as expressions of their own experiences. But the Bible teaches us that there are right and wrong emotions, just as there are right and wrong beliefs. We are taught not just that adultery is wrong. We are taught that we should hate adultery. In fact, that we should hate all sin. We are taught that we should fear and love God. We are taught that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. We are taught that we should delight in God's Word. That we should long for the day of Christ's return. These are all emotions and we are taught that we should have them. And if we don't, we are acting like the Pharisees who may have thought rightly about God's Word but did not feel rightly about one another and about God Himself. It is pharisaical to say, I think the right thing, but I don't feel the right thing. And the path to having our emotions come in line with God's emotions is to meditate on His Word. For example, we are called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart. Your love for God should be more than your love for anything or than anybody And you can't just say, you know, I know I'm supposed to feel that, but I don't. I believe the right thing, but, you know, I I don't really love God. That's okay, because I think the right things. The Bible does not say that you should just think the right things about God. The Bible says that you should love God. That your heart should be inflamed with passion for God. And to love God this way, you must meditate on His Word. 
You need to spend time pondering the love of God that He would send His Son into the world. You need to consider that while you were dead in your sin, Christ died for you. The godly for the ungodly that you would have surely spent eternity in hell if it were not for the love of God to save you through His Son, Jesus Christ. You need to allow the reality of Christ's blood cleansing your sin to slowly pour over all of your guilt. You need to take time to think about how the righteousness of Christ has become your own possession through God's grace and that you are accepted as a son into the household of God. You need to mull over the reality that heaven has been opened for you and you will be with Christ for all eternity. You see, it's not just that you need to think these things. You need to feel these things. But as you think them, as you ponder them, as you go to God's Word and by the power of the Spirit, your thoughts will begin to be right and your heart will begin to be changed. The cure for your anemic and lukewarm affections for Christ is to spend time meditating on God's Word. Your lack of joy in Christ isn't because He isn't great. It is because you haven't taken time to see His greatness. For as we focus our attention on the Word of God, Christ is revealed. And when Christ is revealed, you will love Him. You see, what we think, what we set our minds upon, will change how we feel. If we think rightly, we will begin to feel rightly. But we also need to see how our emotions will drive our thoughts. The other side of the equation is that what we feel will lead our thoughts. This is very simple to understand because we all experience this reality. You think about what you are feeling. So if you're feeling worried about the stock market crashing... You think about finances. If you are feeling sad about the death of a loved one, you think about what life would be like if they were around. If you're feeling angry about how someone has wronged you, you'll think about how you're going to get revenge on that person. Or at least how you were right in the situation and they were wrong. If you're worried about getting sick, you're going to think about germs and hand washing. If you're feeling in love, you're going to think about your love and how you want to spend your life with them. You see, what you are feeling also leads your thoughts. And if you love Christ, then your thoughts will often turn to Him in times of meditation. If He is the treasure that you desire, then your mind will be consumed with how to get more and more and more of Him into your life. But sadly, so often, our love for Christ can wane and grow cold. And our thoughts can be given over to the worries of this world. And if this is the case for you, if the love of Christ does not stir within you a deep heartfelt desire for your Savior, then you need to again go to His Word and learn more of Him. You need to pray that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes to see wondrous things in His Word. You need to focus your attention on the Word of God so that you might see and know the loveliness of Christ. That is, if you would fan the flame of your desire for Christ, you need to add the fuel of God's Word. 
to feel rightly about God and this world, you need to begin to meditate more on His Word. You see, to think and to feel rightly, we have to have the humility and the repentance of heart to know that we do not feel and we do not think as we should. We need to be changed. But when we turn to Christ in the Word of God, our minds and our hearts are renewed. So would you not this day commit to meditate on His Word to be changed? Would you not dedicate to take time out from the wisdom of this world to make a concerted effort to limit or to suspend your time on certain media outlets and to spend that time in God's Word. The next time when you wake up in the morning and your first desire, you have a question and you want to go to the Internet to get it answered, before you ask Surrey, before you ask Alexa, before you ask Google, before you ask Facebook for how you should think and feel about what's going on in this world and in your life, would you not spend that time Meditating on God's Word. Next week, we're going to take some time to look through some specifics on how we might practice meditation. But right now, I ask you, give your mind and your heart over to reading and meditating on this truth. The truth of God's Word. In the name of the Father, and the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, I come. Lord, and I come as the chief offender among us here in going to the world to seek wisdom and not first beginning in Your Word. And so I pray, Lord, that You would change my heart and change my emotion. Father, and I pray for those who are gathered here in this moment that You would change their hearts and their emotions. That even as we've meditated on Psalm 119 this morning, that You would be true to the promises of Your Word and that by the power of the Spirit that our hearts would be changed. Give us a desire and a love for Your Word that it might lead us and guide us all the days of our lives. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.